and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking to a couple of women who are really shaking things up on the small screen. We've got Jerry Johnson, one of the stars of Amazon Prime's new hit series, Harlem, along with Nicole Ari Parker about her co-starring role in And Just Like That. We've got one of the stars of Amazon Prime's new hit series, Harlem, Jerry Johnson, brought to us by the incomparable Tracy Oliver. The show focuses on four friends navigating life, love, and career in Harlem. Aside from our guest, Jerry Johnson, it also stars Megan Good, Grace Byers, and Shaniqua Shandai, along with Tyler Lepley, who, wow, is all the way grown. If the premise sounds a little familiar, it should. It's kind of another iteration of a show that is centered on four female friends who use the city as a backdrop. Tons of places have done this. The four friends formula is not new, but the city part, of course, conjured memories of Sex in the City from the first episode. Unlike Sex in the City, though, Harlem is very well melanated and it is really told through a Black perspective. The city is more the neighborhood being Harlem and the issues that they tackle absolutely elevate the conversations. First up, we have Jerry Johnson, one of the stars of Amazon Prime's fantastic new series, Harlem. In it, she plays Ty, a character that I am already obsessed with. Thankfully, Amazon gave us all of the episodes at once, so I'm already gearing up for season two. I wanted to find out what went into cultivating this character who is much more layered, much more, I think, um, self-realized than a lot of other characters that I've seen on screen. I don't know that I've ever seen a Black lesbian woman who is a huge success in her career and also kind of jumps around when it comes to the way that she presents and identifies. You know, the first few episodes, she was very mass presenting. And then we see her really tapping into her femininity. Other times, you know, she's facing some issues that woman knows happen all the time in real lives that any Black woman can relate to when it comes to navigating healthcare in the skin. Hi, Jerry. Thank you so much for being here. I'm such an instant fan of yours. Jerry, I am so in love with your character on Harlem. I think that she is unlike any character I've ever seen before. And I really just want to get into how you cultivated her and how you feel about, I think, what is a kind of monumental step in representation. Well, initially when I read it, I was like, oh my God, I can get into the pocket of this. It felt like, even though the character is from Georgia, right? The language to me felt familiar, like people that I know in Philly and stuff like that. And and a little bit of me on the inside, right? And so I put on, I was like, okay, let me wear some, some fresh, you know, whatever's. And I had on this, uh, I rolled up this beanie, had on this button down shirt and these bomb cargos with these gold harachis. And I was like, this is Thai. 
this is Ty. And that helps solidify like the character after already reading and finding like where she is in terms of language. And then once I put that on, I was like, oh yeah, okay. And then I wore that to, to um, each of the auditions in the process. And I was like, this feels like her. It feels familiar. It feels like somebody that we've never seen before. The fact that this this character talks like this and walks like this, but that doesn't take away from the fact that she's professional, right? Because sometimes we we try to cold switch or we do cold switch, right? Because because and the reason for cold switching is that our natural language, our natural intonations, our natural words aren't professional. And so then we have to switch it up to make it sound professional. And the fact that this this is a character who has transcended that in a way, who who maybe had to do that in college and after college in order to maintain her her status in white spaces. Um, but now she's making space for herself, which is um, what I'd like to see more of in, in, in real life. So I think Ty in that way is just is is breaking the mold of how we create characters, how we create queer characters and what's possible. Yes, absolutely. And I think that one thing that really struck me about Ty is that I didn't really know what to expect. Like I felt like Ty presented at first. I'm like, okay, like here's like a mass presenting black lesbian. And then there are scenes where you look a lot more femme and, you know, from the fashion to the makeup, to the hair, I, I feel like we haven't seen that. We haven't seen someone that isn't just concrete pigeonholed representing this. And I feel like Ty to me was much more representative of women that I know. Yes. Yes. And me, it's like, I feel like androgyny is just so important in, in culture now, right? Because it's creating this conversation that is outside of the binary. How can you be a person who likes women, who likes to wear, you know, suits and more masculine things, but also might wear a heel, but also might wear this? Like, it. I think sometimes, and, and I've had um, <laughs> lots of relationships with women, and I feel like a lot of times too in queer relationships, there's a recreation of gender roles. Okay. You are the more masculine one. And so you feel like you need to do this, 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 and this, because that's what a man would do. I'm not interested anymore in being in relationships that, that exist in that way. I'm just such a fluid person that there has to be some symbiotic fluidity, whereas we're just existing as people who are sharing space with each other. And I feel like Ty with the way that she dressed in the, in the way that she is, because there was a moment on set where I was like, am I not like, am I not masculine enough? Like, am I not pushing the masculine of Ty? But in reality, some of the masculine, like really masculine women in my life are some of the most feminine women internally. And I feel like even though I present feminine a lot of times, not most of the time, but a lot of times, I am, it's just like very, I can be very, very, very masculine inside. And so it doesn't, it's, it's, I think uh, clothes are an extension. They're an expression. They shouldn't define who you are, but they should be a tool that we play with to express how we're feeling on a day-to-day basis and knowing that that can change. Absolutely. I think that we're constantly trying to evolve and update in our knowledge and our understanding in the language that should be used. You know, one thing that I didn't do five years ago that I do now when I meet a person is I ask what their pronouns are. But what we're talking about right now 
it goes beyond pronouns, right? Like we're saying mass, femme, like we're talking about Ty's big dick energy. Like there's so much, but like, I guess my question is what are, if any, the right, what are we talking about? It's not, it's not Ty's pronouns when we say she presents mass or femme, or we're talking about androgyny. Like, what is that? What's that? What is this next step that we're entering in and finally seeing? I think that we're going into a space where we are realizing our true essence and our true essence isn't attached to gender. It isn't attached to pronouns. It isn't attached to sexuality. And all of those things don't have to be connected. They're, they're all constructs. And if you think about like, the house you lived in like 20, 30 years ago, right? Like as you continue to live in a place, you start to see, oh, wait, this couch is actually too small for me. I need a bigger couch. Oh, this room is actually configured in a way that actually doesn't work with how my life is now. Oh, actually, I want to take this wall down in my kitchen because I'd like to see through, right? As you grow and change, the things around you start to grow and change. Why are our systems still the same? Why are we still working on the same modules, the same language? It's it's outdated, quite frankly. And I feel like we're talking about a deeper thing of like, let me greet you and not try to put you in a box and not say, oh, she's a woman. So, oh, 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 he's a man. So, oh, she's a masculine performing woman. So, oh, she's a lesbian. So, oh, she's gender nonconforming. So dot, 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 dot. But like, who are you? Like, how do you feel? Like, what, what, what makes you happy? What makes you excited? What makes you exuberant? Those kinds of questions is what we should be interested in because it's in this age of Aquarius and I am an Aquarius. <laughs> It's about community and connection. And I feel like sometimes we use uh, gender and language around gender and sexuality as a force of divisiveness. Oh, this is a man so we can pay him more. Oh, this is a blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't us who created these rules to begin with. So why are we still navigating in a space that wasn't meant for our liberation to thrive. Harlem is out. People have seen it. I saw it a month ago and loved it, but people have finally gotten to see it. They're starting to get really attached to these characters or begging for a season two. What impact can you actually feel? Like what is tangible as far as people's responses or even you sitting down and watching yourself and your character on the screen? Like what do you feel the impact is so far? I feel like people are being seen in a different way. I feel like queer Black women are being seen in a different way. I feel like women who have dealt with fibroids or different health conditions are being seen in a different way. The way we navigate this healthcare system is being, I think this show pushes up against that. And I truly think that it's the queer joy that we've been wanting. It's the the queer woman who loves her life, who may not live it the way that people think that she should, but is like very driven and very actually vulnerable and, and has had to jump through a lot of hoops to get where she is, but has and is making it right because life is a journey and not a destination. And so I feel like um, I, there's a lot of queer women who are androgynous, 
femme mask presenting who have said like, thank you for this character. And I know friends that I have back in San Francisco, which is where like a lot of my queer community and a language that has been created around uh, my queerness has re was really able to blossom in the Bay. They're just on a different level, but who are happy that it wasn't just like a one note, but I'm not a one note. So there was no way I was going to step into Ty and like try to make her one thing. It's an exploration of joy. And I think queerness is joy. It is freedom. It is liberation. And so I know and hope that people get that from, from Ty. I think they are getting that from Ty. You know, Right after this, I'm talking to Nicole Ari Parker about Sex in the City. And of course, when I watched Harlem, especially the first few episodes, that's exactly where my mind went. This is four women. It's modern day. Harlem is the fifth character. And even the way that, that Megan's character narrates, you know, through her like anthropology, the way that Carrie did through her column was really cool. And I saw a lot of similarities. But what was so different and so impactful was how Black this is and how much you guys took that formula and elevated it in a way that applies to us right now. And one of those ways, there were so many ways, but one of the most poignant ways for me was with Ty's health issue. And the fact that, you know, we saw on screen something that we've all seen in real life and felt on real in real life, which is we're stronger than this pain. We're going to power through it. We got shit to do. And once you're in there, they are not listening to me. They are not believing me. They are not reacting the right way to my pain. And, and, and Ty suffers for it. And so many of us have suffered and will suffer for it. I thought that was so powerful, but it was even more powerful that it was this lesbian character because mm -hmm. we never talk about the Black maternal health of lesbians. We don't talk about the roadblocks, legal, insurance-wise, and in the healthcare system that keep Black lesbians from getting the same standard of care, especially when it comes to their reproductive health, as white women and as, as hetero Black women. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important. And I wondered for you what it was like to be placed in that very, you know, what has been regarded as a very feminine kind of space and inhabiting it finally for all of us to see. It definitely, I knew just reading the script, first of all, our writers are fearless and the best writers write from experience. And so this came up because of, of a conversation in the writer's room where people felt like this happened to me. And, and, and so I think it's time for us to go there, which I think a lot of scenes where I was like, oh my God, we're allowed to say this. The writers were in the room saying, we have to go there. And that's why I think this show is, is so epic. But for Ty in this experience, like I, I know what it feels like to be like, I'm really, you know, I, I'm a holistic person, right? So you, the tinctures, I have a bunch of teas. You come, my friends come to my house. I'm feeling this and this and this. Let me put something together for you. And I think that there is a mistrust in the, the healthcare system. And growing up, I grew up poor. When I went to college and I wasn't able to be on my mom's welfare health care, I didn't have health care all throughout college. And I had this one like thing, a swollen 
finger or something like that. And I had to go. And it was like, they charged me like an, an insane amount for the consultation and then to go to this hospital. And they were like, oh no, we can't take all of it out. You have to go to the specialist to get the right. And it was just like, they sent me all around just to like charge me up. Um, but I'm like, this sucks. And nobody was having conversations with me about like, how do you get healthcare or, or what the importance of whatever is. And so I have a, an interesting relationship to, to, to hospitals. And then my mom, she, she was very sick. She passed away at the end of 2019. And she, you know, was resistant to, to hospitals for a long time. And I have an aunt who has fibroids who like had a hysterectomy and like, she's had to go to multiple doctors to fix what the last doctor did. And so to be put in a position where I can express or or show this storyline was so for me very much empowering and essential. And then on top of that, the assumptions of what it's like for a mass presenting woman to show up and how oh how easy it is for because you know doctors were were giving black women hysterectomies since before you know yeah remember and a lot of t- and it's and what it what it does is it, it stops the reproduction right like it's like if we what the popular the black population is 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 getting to be the majority so how can we restrict this and yeah. that's why we have all the shit that we have going on now but i felt like yeah, this is, this is, this is what needs to be said. And and I'm glad I get to say it. Me too. I'm so glad. Last question is we are pulling for a season two. We're already ideating where you guys will go. Where do you want Ty to go in season two? What would you love to see or what lane would you love to like go down and explore? Um, I would like to see Ty in love with somebody. Um, I also, (laughs) I'm a person who can't, who can't deny the stage. You know, when I'm at parties and stuff, I get up on stage and I'm, I'm going to perform. I don't know what it is in me, but it always happens. I always end up there. And I wonder what that means for Ty. Like when does Ty like really loosen up, whether that's through love or through something outside of her work and her relationship with her friends. And I also want to meet Ty's queer friends because all queer, you know, queer people are not just around hetero people. And Ty does have a queer group of friends. And so I want to explore what that looks like. I love that. Thank you so much, Jerry. This has been such a pleasure. I'm such a fan. And uh, it was really great to speak with you today. Yes, great to speak with you too. Okay, you take care. If you haven't tuned in to Harlem on Amazon Prime, now is the time. You should have some time off coming up for the holidays. And I'm telling you, this show is worth the binge. While Harlem navigates the way four Black women navigate sex in their city, it's finally time for us to revisit the original Sex in the City, thanks to HBO Max's new limited series, And Just Like That. Let's get into this conversation I had with Nicole Ari Parker about this new iteration of Sex in the City. Nicole Ari Parker is not the only Black face that we'll see on this limited series, and that is a very good thing. 
Karen Pittman, who is such a prolific actress, plays Dr. Niall Wallace. And if you have caught either of the first two episodes that dropped December 9th on HBO Max, then you know that both of these women really kind of came in with a bang. When I talked to Nicole, though, it was a couple days ago, and she was still under strict orders to share no details with me. I had not seen any of the episodes of And Just Like That yet. So there won't be any spoilers, but by the time you hear this, everything will make sense. Hey, Nicole, it's nice to see you. Gosh, it's been a minute. First off, I mean, there's so much anticipation around this reboot. How does it feel right now? We're days away from the premiere. I know. And I still, I'm sworn to secrecy. You know that, right? (laughs) I signed over a few, I don't even know what I signed, but I can't say anything. The firstborn. Um, And... At first, let me say everything's in the can. Like you said, it's premiering uh, day after tomorrow, but they are very aware that they've added these four characters, right? It's not like, oh, 20 years later, everybody gets a new brown friend. Let's not say anything. Like they are really, but they're staying on brand with the show. It's a half hour. It's a comedy. It's a, it's a cable show. It's, it's fun. It's flirty. It's about fashion. But if you're going to make two women become friends because they're moms and then also deal with the genuine friendship, but also have them trip up on each other about how all of our racial relations end up, like they usually end up over a cup of coffee, right? We're not always in a heated debate with our white friends, right? But we might trip up over both of us going to the department store and who gets approached, right? Like in real time, things happen that make the record skip. And that's the kind of way that they're dealing with it, which is kind of cool because you want to see where real friendships can happen and where they can't and where they can heal. So it's been a really fun journey this season with them and just like that. And I think you know, they did a really great job also to avoid tokenism, right? Like I'm one black woman. Karen's character is another one. We, but you know, both of them, right? They have full jobs, full lives, full anxieties, full issues, full happiness, like all of the things they are totally full women. And I don't know. I mean, they diversified the writer's room too, which was very smart. Well, that is good to know. And of course, there are so many things that we don't know about this series, but there are a few things that we do know, like the fact that you will be playing Lisa Todd Wexler, yeah, described as this Park Avenue mother of three, a documentarian who's kind of new to the group and seems to really have it all together. My first question for you is, what was your relationship with Sex in the City prior to signing on to this project? Were you really into it when it was on? Did you more catch it on reruns? Like, were you a fan? Just a fan who I watched it every now and then, or, you know, my favorite parts were the lunch scenes where your girlfriends try to figure stuff out. I sometimes I joked, I had an interview, and I joked and I said, I used to wonder why they didn't have any black friends. I was like, y'all would have half of these problems wouldn't exist. <laughs> we would have got you together. <laughs> but I love them. I love the show. And I was starstruck when I first met SJ and Kristen and Cynthia, that first scene that I shot that, and it was all four of us. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is really happening. And they're all so beautiful in real life. Everybody's talking about them being grown and wrinkles and a whole lot of dumb stuff. They are so radiant. You, I mean, and just 
that's the last thing you see when you're just standing there. I mean, they built an empire. This is like a 20 plus year old franchise that's been movies, a series. Sex in the City had such a profound effect on the culture. And while it was definitely missing melanin, I think that it made an impression on everyone, but especially women of the time. Was there any pressure for you going into this kind of, you know, pretty closed circle? So many people know these characters so well. And so I wonder what it's like to come into a juggernaut like that. That's a great question. I think once I read the first script, I knew that writing wise, I was in good hands. And but what made me nervous the most was when you're talking about acting is it's what we say the rhythm of the piece. You know, the music is a character in the piece. The the self-consciousness is a character in the piece. The fashion is a character in the piece. So I could have on a full outfit, turban, bracelets, a bag, glasses, but it's this character's Tuesday. I have to act like this is a totally normal way that I go to Starbucks. Talk to me about the fashion. It was off the chain. And then just be like conscious of real time. Like there's a sound department that's like, Nicole, your glasses are hitting your necklace. Your earring is hitting your phone. I was like, well, they put me in these fabulous earrings. So we're going to have to work it out. (laughs) So, yeah, it was just being in the rhythm of this beloved show was because you don't want to come in and make the record skip in a bad way. Be your full self as an artist. But, you know, it is something to be mindful of is the comic elements and, you know, and the fashion. I'm glad that you mentioned some of the early commentary that came out when those first promo shots hit the web. People were going nuts. There was a lot of blowback. People were criticizing the ladies' looks, their wrinkles, their gray hair, uh, and kind of freaking out. And it seemed like Sarah Jessica Parker And the other women kind of came back swinging and were just very real about the fact that this is what they look like. And why is that the focus? When I look at you, it's very clear that black don't crack. You look exactly like you did when I interviewed you 15 years ago. I wonder as a black actress, how does that ageism issue bump up against navigating Hollywood when I would imagine for you, it's not so wrapped up in your face, but what are the other ways that ageism or the element of reaching a higher age affects the way that you move through your career now? I love that. Um, I think it's frustrating because on the artistic side, you get better as an artist. Now that I've had kids and, and you know, if I pick up Shakespeare now, I know exactly what I'm saying when, it's, when you're discussing epic choices in life, life or death. You know, like I could play a superhero now, like I could... I could talk to you. I could catch my kid if, if, if she fell, cook food, get dressed up, have a meeting. Like I, it's the, the ageism is that it puts you in this one space of, okay, well, now that you're a grown up, you're the president of the company. Okay. But where's the rest of my life? All right. Well, you're, you're a mom. Okay. But like, there's these boxes and there's no movement, no dynamic fleshing out of a full life. Like the irony is that you, you build this amazing life. You become this even way sexier person because you know who you are and the writing sometimes isn't there, right? It sometimes gets overblown like cougar or, but 
there's no real appreciation for the fierceness of being a grown woman and the, the decisions you have to make on a daily basis and the balls you have in the air. And it's just, there's, it's changing because more of us are behind the scenes and producing stories, but I think we could really improve in that department. You know, the minute yeah. a, I, I've read like three scripts and it's like the mom, I mean, the character should might as well be called the mom. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I should be wearing the cape in this movie full on. Right. I hope that this show opens up what happens after 40 for white women, for black women, for any women, because you're right. That demographic has been largely written out of the story. So while we have a million examples of what it looks like to run around the city in your twenties and thirties, when you're single with no kids and no husband and your dream job and a closet full of shoes, we never really see what happens next. And maybe that's also what kind of feeds into this fear of getting older. Not that Sarah Jessica Parker is a, the executive producer of a 20-year-old show. Not that she's fabulous, that she's about to go do Broadway and a movie. Not that she's also a mother and a wife, that she's like, I, I walked into that set and was like, I need to catch up. Not to, oh shit, I'm in a new phase of slowing down. I was like inspired to pull my project off the shelf. Just everything. Like I stopped that panic thing. And the minute we stop doing it, I think everyone else will stop doing it. You have to look at the grown women in your life, the actualized grown women in your life who represent what's ahead for you, where you need to dust yourself off and be as fierce instead of chasing something, someone or some look that isn't even, they couldn't hold a candle to you. I, I feel brand new. I feel brand new because there's so much stuff that I haven't done. And life is proving that you have time to do it at 50 to 80. Look at Rita Moreno. Okay. Look at Cicely's that just died. Miss Tyson, you know, like was still on Broadway. These are the kind of feelings I get about being grown now. I, I have wrinkles. I have a stomach. I have jiggly arms. I put it all together for y'all sometimes. With the- I don't see one line on this face, but okay. I feel so fresh. I feel like I know so much and I can't wait to get started. You know, I have no burdens, you know, no like, oh, I'm grown. and No, I feel brand new. Like y'all like, and it's good for, for my kids for my husband, for my brain, my self-care to keep exploring and keep living. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of the okie doke. We get played by women, you know, on, on us as women, like let's get everybody scared about crow's feet and, and gray hair. Let's get everybody scared to distract them from the takeover. Because if she knew she was beautiful, if she knew she was smart, if she knew how much she had learned in life and how prepared she was for this next chapter, she would own the building. But everybody keeps us in diet mode and eye cream mode that we don't, we waste another 10 years, right? And I, I let all that go. I let it go the minute I had kids, really. Yeah, I had kids at 34 and I just felt unstoppable. It was a lot. It was hard. It was, ooh. But, and they're 15 and 16 now. And, um, but it was just something kicked in. Like, I'm not going to worry about anything dumb ever again. So don't fall for the okie doke. Talk to me a little bit about your character. I know you can't say much, but tell us what you can. 
I think it's, um, well, I love that my character is so loaded. <laughs> like she is rich for real. And yet that's her life. It's not overblown, you know, and we know that lady like, we, and we as a community know that exists. Right. But I think it's good to show it and to show all aspects of our community. You know, I think that was really great about soul food and soul food, the series that you had the real siblings that are in a real family, the one that's the lawyer, the one that owns the beauty shop, the one that is a stay-at-home mom, you know, so I like that they even went there and didn't just hire Black actors. They created full, fully realized characters that really exist. Nicole, thank you so much. It was a pleasure as always to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for this great interview. I cannot wait to see you in this new series. I have been freaking out about it ever since you were announced. So I'll be rooting for you and watching along with everyone else. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.